All right, you may be seated. All right, good to see everyone. Good morning, good morning. Merry Christmas. You guys are so beautiful. You're just awesome. I just, this is like the best place to be on a Sunday morning where I can see everyone's amazing faces. You guys are great. All right, so um, uh, I'm not preaching today. Hallelujah. You can clap for that. That was a joke. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You can clap for the man who is going to preach. Come on up, Paul, my, my amazing friend. Many of you met him in the past. Um, and he's going to share a word. Uh, 26 years? Yeah, we met in Michigan, and we went, uh, began the ministry journey at the same time. He was in Michigan. We had moved back to this area by then, and, and uh, we have been... Uh, uh, praying for one another and uh, 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 mutual uh, care for one another, crying on each other's shoulders, rejoicing together. It's just been great. And our families are linked. Uh, our six kids, their six kids. It's just been a, a, a blessing uh, mm-hmm. that God has put us together. So, um, so we're going to pass out. He's got some cards that everybody will want one of these cards as we go through the message today. And uh, while they're doing that, I'm just going to pray for you, Paul. So, Lord, I just thank you for Paul and Carol and uh, their children. What a blessing. Alex and Daniel, Peter, James, Abby, Jenny. Uh, What a great blessing they've been to our whole family. And so, Lord, just bless them as they uh, enter a new season in life, Paul and Carol. And uh, direct their steps, give them wisdom, provide for all their needs. And uh, Lord, give us ears to hear the words that you're going to speak through Paul this morning. Or we want to be closer to you this morning because of the word that's spoken and the word that's received. And so, bless my brother here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Well, Tim stole some of my thunder. I'm the one that said 26 years. And then... He mimics my thing. So, um, you know, I've been, I've been um, I think I've brought a message here probably nine or ten times in the last, since 1999. That's how long Carol and I have been coming. We never lived in Ohio, and, but, you know, the Lord has opened up ways to minister here. Um, today we're going to talk about Christmas, becoming Jesus in our world. And I want to I do that. Through a couple different ways, so let's uh, let's hop into the word. If you have your Bibles open to the book of Philippians, oh wow, that worked, awesome. Good. All right. Now this may be the strangest Christmas illustration. Okay, but but stay with me. All right. Many of you recognize who is this? Loki. All right. What's his? He's. By the way, if you don't know, he's Thor's brother, okay? Um, what's his superpower? Anybody know? Yes, yeah, so or what else? Come on. Yes, he can make himself look like other people. He can morph in it. In fact, in one scene, he morphs into his father, Odin, to deceive the people. Another time, he inco- in, uh, incarnates himself for fun to look like Captain America, okay? So what does this have to do with Christmas? All right? Today, I want us to be 
the good Lokis, right? I want us to morph and incarnate into Jesus to live out this truth. All right, we're going to do this. Ah, there we go. If God becoming man, Jesus, wants his way of reaching the world, we need to become Jesus to reach our world. So we need to become Jesus to reach our world. So I'm going to ask you to open, um, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. If you're new in your Bibles, in the New Testament, you have the Gospels, the Book of Acts, Romans, Corinthians, and then because I like popcorn, you have go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read uh, verses 5 through 8. So let's, uh, let's me read Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, or emptied himself, being uh, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what I want to do in the first part of this message is to, um, is to take this passage and show you the gospel the Gospels where we talk about the birth of Christ and kind of show that it, it dovetails together. Um, and then I want to give us some practical ways uh, that we can live out Jesus' incarnation. Um, when we think about the Apostle Paul, you know, he probably didn't have the Gospel of Matthew. But if you don't realize, when he went to Philippi, you know who was with him, right? Luke. Okay, so he had Luke with him. Luke had, even by that time, written the, the gospel of Luke. Um, but he had him right there. And he also was, Paul was friends with John Mark, who wrote the gospel of Mark. So uh, Paul knew the story of Jesus' birth. So by putting these passages next to each other, I really want to show Paul um, his passage in the Philippian letter to really come alive in the gospel. So we're going to do this. Okay. We'll get it. Okay, good. Oh, shoot. <laughs> we're just out of range, you know? Okay. All right. So let me start in Philippians Two five. I'm only going to read two two words: Christ Jesus. Okay. Where do we find these in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke? Matthew one twenty one. She Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And Luke two eleven. The angel said, "For unto you." And born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is, who is 
Christ the Lord. So in verse 5 in Philippians 2, we are commanded to have the same mind or attitude as Jesus. Um, that is, we need to become like Jesus. And we look at Matthew, the angel commands Joseph to name him Jesus. The name Jesus literally means in Hebrew, God saves. Yahweh saves. Um, and in Luke, the angels tell the shepherds that there, that baby in Bethlehem is Christ the Lord. Christ being the anointed one, the king. So now we have the full name of Jesus, Christ Jesus. That's who we're supposed to look like. Back to Philippians. Who, though he was in the form of God. And then look back at Matthew. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So though he was in the form of God, he was Emmanuel, God with us. God became man and dwelt among us, and we have all seen his glory, is what the Gospel of John tells us. And this Jesus, though, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't. He didn't try and grab onto it. And in Luke it says, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So here we see the incarnation, the Son of God, eternal in the heavens, coming to earth. See, Luke makes it clear that Jesus had every right to claim who he is, the Son of God, and that now he is reigning over his church and the house of Jacob forever. He has equality with the Father and the Holy Spirit, but he did not hold on to it. But what in verse 7? He made himself nothing, or he emptied himself. Where do we see this? In Luke, Luke 2, 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So Jesus picked the lowest spot to be born, in a barn, in a cow barn, wrapped in cloth, not a robe. He was laid not in a crib of velvet, but in a feed trough. And it's not a new feed trough, okay? It's it's the news. It's a place where the cattle eat. Now, we all have nativity scenes in our house, but we kind of dust them off and make them look really nice. They don't smell, do they? Okay? This manger smelled, all right? 
So there's no quiet spot available for Mary to have a, have a baby. Can you imagine having a baby in the parking lot? Okay? Imagine. That's what it was like. It was a public place. I think God wanted that because he wanted to show that Jesus came for all of us, not for kings and queens. Jesus started out as a nothing. He took the form of a servant. Taking the form of a servant. Continuing verse 7 in Philippians. And when we think of that, I want to point one thing that Luke tells us at the end of chapter 2. When, and he, Jesus, went down with them, his parents, and came to Nazareth, and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. So here we, when we think of Jesus as a servant, our minds almost always go to the night before he, um, he, he died. He took that towel around him and he washed the feet of his disciples, right? That's a picture of servanthood. But we also get this glimpse from Luke. When Jesus was a young boy, he came and served his mom and dad. This, think about this. This is Jesus, the God of the universe, submitting to earthly parents, demonstrating the fifth commandment, honoring his mom and dad, taking the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. Look in Luke 2, 8 and 12, and we had some of this read this morning. You know, when I read this passage, think of Linus and voice, okay? Okay? <laughs> And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around, him, around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. This is the heart of the incarnation. Jesus putting on flesh. It's a mystery, really, if you think about it, that, that theologians have been wrestling with. How can the infinite take on the finite? How can the finite contain the infinite. But the incarnation is the glory of God's plan. See, God had other options, right? So Jesus could have come as a spiritual being, right? And to just look like a man. But to be the second Adam, he had to be man to die on the cross. But maybe he could have been born a perfect man, just a normal birth, but maybe perfect, never sinning. But Jesus would still have the curse of the sin of the first Adam. 
No, we needed, we needed a perfect mediator between God and man. He needed to be the God-man. Two natures in one person. Only God has the power to forgive sins and save. Only God can become God's final word to man. And only man can die. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Lots of ways we, lots of places we can go to, but in Matthew 20, Jesus said, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. See, the purpose of God was not fulfilled at Jesus' birth. No, the incarnation was the means to accomplish Jesus' purpose. Jesus' ultimate purpose was to die as a ransom to redeem his people. You can almost say that Jesus was born to die. That's why I like this picture, because somebody had that idea that as Mary held up Jesus, what we really see is the cross. That was the reason he came. So how do we measure humility? We measure humility by how far you descend from your rightful place. See, the measure of humility, the measure of how humble you are, is how far you are from your rightful place. Because Jesus is God. Death had no claim on him. Death is a penalty of sin. And Jesus had no sin. Jesus humbles himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. But wait, there's more. He is a malefactor in the eyes of the Roman, right? In the eyes of Rome, he's an enemy. And yet he submits to death on a cross. Even though he could have, as the old hymn says, called down 10,000 angels. That is the life to which Jesus came to redeem his people. This is the incarnation. God becoming man. So if, if God becoming man, Jesus, was God's way of reaching the world, we need to become Jesus to reach our world. See, we need to embody we need to embody the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? Well, what is the gospel? Well, quite simply, Jesus came to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we deserve for our sin, 
And then he rose again on the third day. Why did he do that? To show that he defeated death. He died for our sins. That hell and the devil have no claim over him. He is king. And the gospel begins here and then changes everything, everything in our lives. It flips everything upside down. I really like this quote from a commentator I came across. I think it fits with our passage. <coughs> because Jesus was the king who became a servant, we see a reversal of values in kingdom administration. In Jesus' kingdom, the poor, the sorrowful, the persecuted are above the rich, the recognized, the satisfied. The first shall be last. Why would this be? He continues, this reversal is a way of imitating the pattern of Christ's salvation. Though Jesus was rich, he became poor. Though he was king, he served. Though he was the greatest, he made himself the servant of all. He triumphed over sin, not by taking up power, but by serving sacrificially. He won through losing. Total reversal. Total. This is a complete reversal of the world's way of thinking, which values power, recognition, wealth, and sadness. The gospel then creates a new kind of servant community with people who live out an entirely alternative, alternate way of being human. Racial and class superiority, accrual of money and power at the expense of others, and yearning for popularity and recognition are all marks of living in the world. They represent the opposite of a gospel mindset. So, how does the gospel then practically turn our worlds upside down? Well, I think the answer is for us to mimic Jesus and live like him in our world. So here's your card, okay? I'm actually going to start on the back. I put the title on the wrong side. So I want to go through what, what one author calls the six P's of the Incarnation. And his name is uh, Alan Hirsch. He's a church planner and influencer in Australia. And he's really helped me to understand the Incarnation. So I want to go through the six P's brought to you by the letter P. And... Um, and then we're going to talk about what does that look like in our lives. So let's, uh, let's do that. The first P is presence. What he means is the act of identification with a people group, being present to them. When Jesus came to earth, he didn't hold himself at arm's length, right? But he mingled with people. So much so that his enemies accused him of hanging out with sinners. Remember in uh, Matthew 11, 19, it says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they sing, Look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
but Jesus was present with those people. And the next P is very similar. It is proximity. Now, the difference is this one is going to where they go, being in their faces, so to speak. Now, this is similar to presence, but it kind of goes beyond identification. It highlights the need to be with people where they're at. Um, we see that. Think about Jesus and the woman at the well, right? The, the scripture said he had to go through Samaria in John 4, and then he ends up at this well at noontime, and he's in proximity with the, a person that no one else, especially a Jew, would ever be with. She had had six husbands, or she was not a six husband, right? She was an outcast, and Jesus was willing to take a cup and drink from her. That's a really amazing. That's Jesus in proximity. Then the next one is preceding. Now, this one's a little harder to understand, but it's trusting that God is already calling people to himself. And through Jesus, in and through Jesus, and that we can just join him in that. Now we see this when Paul shared the gospel in Philippi. Um, you may remember when he went into Philippi, he wanted to meet people um, who he could start sharing the gospel. And so he came to a river, and there was a woman named Lydia, and there's something really Something really different is used to describe her. It says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul, what was said by Paul. So God was already working on Lydia. See, God is going before us to reach the people that do not yet know Christ, that we know. Okay? We see this when Paul was in Corinth. And this is really important for us. So he had a dream and a vision, and, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, this is Acts 18, do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So think about that. Think about your coworkers. Think about your neighbors. Think about your family members. Jesus is already going to work through prayer, through presence, through proximity to reach them for Christ. Because he has many people, not only in Kirkland and Menor and all these places. He has these people already. All we have to do is be there with them. So Jesus through his death on the cross and resurrection and ascension, we haven't talked about that yet, has opened up a pathway of prayer to the Father. So that's, that's where prayer comes in. See, we can pray for these people that we love, and Jesus will say to the Father, Father, I died for these people. Would you open their hearts? And then the Holy Spirit comes and opens hearts. 
Yeah, just picture what God wants to do. Can you flip your card over to what I would call the front? And that's the... I'll do it one more time. We'll have it there. Okay. Powerlessness. Now, this doesn't mean that we do not have power. Right? We have power in the gospel, power in the Holy Spirit. But rather, we take upon ourselves a servant form and we be humble and be humble in our engagement with others. This fourth P is asking us to live out Jesus' humility and servanthood. Now, we know how the media can portray Christians, right? Oftentimes, we're seen as high and mighty and judgmental, okay? But Jesus wasn't like this. We need to engage others with a servant attitude, putting others first. And one way to do that is this word in, in Greek, pathos, and that means that we suffer with others and we emphasize with them, we emphatically feel and understand their pain and struggle. In the word, we are people of compassion. So let me ask you a question. How good are we at showing empathy with those we interact with? I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with that. I struggle with especially if it's people are suffering consequences of their own sin, I, it's hard for me to put myself in people's shoes. But that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to have compassion. Think about Jesus and with that woman at the well again. There could have been more difference between Jesus and her, right? But he had compassion. And throughout the gospel, it's all... It says Jesus had compassion on people. Then the sixth P is proclamation. That having loved and cared for people, we seek to reach. We lovingly, boldly, and verbally proclaim the gospel in ways that make sense to the culture of the people we are reaching. See, as we, are, as we live with people, we need to be ready to proclaim the gospel to those without Jesus. It's a matter of listening with a caring heart and sharing the gospel in a bold yet compassionate way. I, I really like the way the Apostle Peter says it in chapter 3 of his letter, his first letter. He says in, in 1 Peter 3.15, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, Always be prepared, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. It's just, that's the way we can share Christ. So now that we've looked at the six Ps, presence, proximity, preceding, powerlessness, pathos, and proclamation, on the card, I give you some examples of what that might look like. And you'll, you can write your own, um, whatever, but I wanted to give some examples, some practical ways that we can demonstrate Jesus' incarnation and be Jesus in our own world. 
So, for instance, presents. Sharing, sharing a meal with a neighbor or a co-worker. You know, proximity, go watch the child's soccer or ball game. Had a really interesting experience a week ago Friday. Um, I take cello, and uh, my cello teacher is, um, is part of her, uh, is a lesbian, and she's married. And um, so I had her over with another non-Christian, right? And we, we played Christmas music. And my cello teacher happens to be Jewish. So here we are playing Christmas music, right, and celebrating O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and all these uh, first Noel, right? Just being with her. Just loving her. I gave her a happy Hanukkah gift, you know, and sharing the meal. And this is what, this is, this is how I'm going to have a chance to, to reach her. Because I'm praying for her. That's the preceding part, right? We develop a list of people to pray for. Even on this car, you know, I, I give you a little room. Write down a couple names of people that you want to share the gospel with. You want to share Christ. You want to serve. Powerlessness. How about go serve someone with a need? You know, we had a we had a tragedy in our town uh, a couple of weeks ago, and um, a young lady, I call her young, she um, she just came to the Lord a year ago, and her nephew, eleven years old, died in a snowmobile accident, and her sister was just devastated. Her son died, and and um, so we as a church just came alongside them. They didn't have any money for a funeral. Nothing. They didn't, they didn't plan for that. And we just came around with finances, with food. And um, uh, one of the funny stories was I, uh, um, I had a chance to, I got this text on the morning of the funeral, right? Paul, uh, Summer, that's the, that's the aunt of the, of the young man that died, um, Summer is really anxious, and she really would like a strawberry smoothie from the local coffee shop. So I happened to live, uh, happened to work like half a block away. So I went to uh, I went to Lola's and got a small, I mean a strawberry smoothie. I can't say that word, and then I delivered it to her house before she went to the memorial service. That's pretty easy. That's showing that you care. That's showing, that's serving people. Um, that pathos, no, write a note to someone that's hurting. You know? Tim mentioned all these people that have losses this time of year. Maybe just, maybe just write a note. You know? And then proclamation. I think this is the one I left off this morning. So, um, just be ready to share your own story. We all have a story. If I went around here, man, we, we have stories to tell about how God has worked in our lives, right? So, and I haven't been 
Unfortunately, when you have a card, so I don't have to. I don't, you haven't missed anything yet. Okay. So God becoming man, Jesus, was his way of reaching the world. We need to become Jesus to reach our world. So as I conclude, I, I, I came across a really neat quote from Paul David Tripp in a recent Advent devotional. He, he writes this, God's response to our rebellion was to give himself, give us himself. Jesus is the great redeeming, transforming gift. This Christmas, we celebrate the best gift God could give us, Jesus Christ. So as we were thinking about that perfect gift for a friend, a relative, neighbor, why don't you just give yourself? Be Christ in the flesh. Show them what Jesus' incarnation really means. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you that you would come down and be God with us in Christ. Lord, we don't understand all of it, we, but we certainly believe it. That's why we celebrate at Christmas that you would come down to save us. So I pray for everyone here, Lord, that you will do an amazing work of compassion and grace. And there's people here that are still trying to decide who Jesus is. I pray you just make it real to them this Christmas. For your glory and for Jesus' name's sake, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Well done. Yeah.